The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 176 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We really appreciate it. We've got such a fantastic show for you. But first of all, a couple of housekeeping items. If you think you would be an amazing guest on Latter-day Lives, if you've got a an interesting life story, you've had great experiences, you want to talk about faith, uh, please reach out to guest at latterdaylives.com. That's guest at latterdaylives.com. And uh, that will go through to Gene Chittister, who is the producer of the show. And it's working really well working with him. It's, it's really been great. So please reach out. Or if you know someone, you know someone who would make a fantastic guest, please send those emails to guest at latterdaylives.com. Also, uh, if you have something you want to share on our social media that you think would be uh, worthwhile or uplifting, we would love to share that for you with our, our social media following. Uh, we do have a new social media manager. I was actually going to play his introduction last week, but I ended up having some technical difficulties. And so this week, we're going to play a little intro episode so you can get to know Skylar Fleming, who's such an amazing guy. And you can send that to social at latterdaylives.com social at latterdaylives.com. So anyway, those are the places to send all of that. And then uh, one other thing, we do want to thank new reviewers on Apple Podcasts. And we did break through the 500 review mark. We're now up to 503 ratings and reviews. So thank you so much. We have a 4.7 average out of five stars. We really are grateful for that. Uh, Two new reviewers this week, uh, Mahota Rose and Mama T254. Thank you both so much for your five-star reviews and your kind words. It means the world to us. Okay, on to this week's episode. My guest this week, Kelly Loosely, such an amazing guy. He's the easiest guy to talk to. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Kelly and I are similar in age and uh, in a lot of things that we like, and I so enjoyed talking to him. And he has had such an amazing life. You are going to love this conversation. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, uh, a brotherhood in Arkansas. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, right here in the Latter-day Live studio, my guest is a filmmaker. Uh, He is also an instructor at BYU and has had so many cool experiences and came highly recommended by (laughs) Ken Craig, who we trust so much. Kelly Loosely, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Super excited to have you here. We've got, I've got so many questions. We sat down uh, before we started recording and found out that we know like so many people in common. That's right. I'm impressed you haven't been on the show before. (laughs) They don't like me, that's why. <laughs> no, Ken, I asked Ken, I said, yeah, you know, if you ever know guests, and he immediately said, you got to have Kelly on, <laughs> Kelly's amazing. So we'll get into how you know Ken and Lincoln and so many of our other friends, but first of all, let's get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a Utah kid. I grew up out in West Jordan, Utah. Mm. Um, 
whole life there. Uh, went on my mission to Portugal. Um, came back. Went to BYU. Major, you've got majored the, in you've film. You've got the classic Latter Day Saints I, I story. I have the classic story. Let's go uh, back to when you were younger. Uh, okay. Were you raised in the church? Raised in the church. Actually, both sides of my family were heavily active. I'm from one of those families where my parents only had to try to have family home evening twice a month because <laughs> once a month we'd meet with my dad's side of the family. Once a month we'd we'd meet with my mother's side of the family. So. Uh, LDS through and through. Beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So grew up out there. And in fact, uh, at one point, um, my grandfather was a stake president for like 17 years oh, and he wow. was the stake president when the stake, uh, was all of West Jordan, South Jordan, Riverton, uh, oh my gosh. everything basically from 68, basically 60th South to the prison and everything West of the freeway was the stake. <laughs> so, uh, his Wait, name 17 was- years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a different era back then, right? Things but were different. Can you imagine serving for 17 years? No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so, yeah. So, grew up out there. Um, what were you into when you were growing up? Uh, so, my family's a big sporto family. My dad played college football. My mom was a PE teacher. Wow. Big time sportos. Uh, but me and my siblings really liked the arts. My parents loved movies. We'd go to a movie a week sort of a thing. Nice. Um, and although my parents were really into sports, they would encourage anything we wanted to pursue, they'd, they'd take us. So my mom was big on going to the library. We'd go once a week to the library, get our books, and learn and figure out whatever we wanted to do. So I started doing uh, animation, uh, I think my sixth grade year. I made my first animated film with my, my best friend. And then I just got obsessed with it and just started doing that. And when I was about 14, uh, a guy that everybody knows now is, is Richard Paul Evans. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. He's Rick Evans to me. He discovered me. I was having my films transferred to video at the same place he was having some animation tests transferred uh, and got my information and then convinced my parents to let him check me out of school. And all through my high school years, I would do clay animation commercials with him. What? Uh, so that's basically mostly the job I had through high school was just building sets and doing clay animation. So were you just artistic, like just in, in drawing or you're doing this claymation? No, so I should back up. Like when I was, you know, I'm, I'm a 70s kid. So yeah, you I, was born, I was born in 71. And so back then, Disney movies would only come out every seven years. Yeah, right? sure. And nobody back then, no, no adult in the right mind would go to a Disney film by themselves. Things are different now. But so I, I was the right age when Bambi came out and everybody, my aunts and uncles, people just kept taking me to Bambi. And my dad told me how it worked. <laughs> and so from about the age of four or five, I was obsessed. So I drew all the time. And that was, that was my thing. Did you have to learn to draw or did it come naturally to you? I have no memory. I just remember drawing. Yeah, I tried to learn. I wanted to draw. I'm a big Disney fan. Uh And I can't draw to save my life. I think, I I don't know if I was good initially, right? But I don't think anybody said otherwise. So I just kept going. And and I'm, I'm a big Disney fan. So that's all I was doing was Disney, you know, trying to emulate the Disney animation stuff that I saw. That is so cool. And we grew up in the same area. I was, uh, era, I was born in 72. So that's the, the sweet spot. There you go. So this relationship with Richard Paul Evans, that's a big, big deal. Yeah, he was, and he was great. I, in fact, he was paying me really decent wages, uh, on a per hour basis. Quite often I was making more than my dad would make. And I wasn't old enough to drive when he started hiring me. So he'd drive out to my parents' house, pick me up, and their That's parents amazing. would just be like, when will we see him? And like, uh, he'll, he's just like, well, he'll call you periodically. And we would just crank out RC Willie commercials and some commercials for Japan. And that's that was the bulk of, I think I made 18 commercials for him over the course of that time. It was great. Do you look back at that 
and just pinch yourself like i cannot believe as a kid i got to oh, do that stuff yeah no no I, a very charmed life in many ways yeah incredible yeah so you get up through high school you're doing all this animation you're falling in love with film mm-hmm. did you know that you wanted that for a career at that time oh i knew from the time i was four or five years old that's i'd read all the books i'd read everything about <laughs> steven spielberg that i could read i i you know I, i'd read everything about walt um it was it was my thing so yeah i definitely knew that's where i was going I had, there, 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 you know, a lot of times kids would, you know, sort of switch up. And there were times where I wanted to do, I had little passions about this or that, but mm. those never lasted. Film was the thing I kept coming back to. It was to always there. Yep, absolutely. And and I, I need to remind, because we have a lot of younger listeners, uh-huh. that this was not in the age of pick up your iPhone no, and no, digitally no. edit it. No, and my parents weren't very wealthy. So when I wanted to make my own movies, I would have to go get uh, like mow lawns or do, you know, do some sort yeah. of manual labor to earn enough money to buy super eight cartridges for our family's super eight camera i would set up a you know a little set in the in my bedroom and frame by frame painstakingly make these really horrible stop motion (laughs) things and it was that work that richard saw was like well nobody else is doing this might as well hire this kid he, he's not afraid to try stuff and then you're doing linear editing yeah yeah that's exactly right shut shot it as it was supposed to be seen <laughs> that is amazing so this takes you up to your mission yeah. uh tell us where you went on your mission well so i should back up because i got scholarship to byu and to the university of utah oh. for film because of all the commercial work i decided i was going to go to the u um which i i should have never believed that that's what i was going to do because if you look back through my elementary school pictures i always have a byu football jersey awesome. on uh but i was supposed to go to the u and about a month or two before school was to start they had a bunch of film equipment stolen and i thought well that's the only reason i'm going to school so by default i ended up at byu went down and worked at byu and at that time they had a lot of us going out and working at the motion picture studio so i worked on a number of projects mm. and i have to say all my life i didn't want to serve a mission yeah I told my parents since my name was Kelly and it was a girl's name, I wanted to go on a girl's mission because it was shorter. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't really know, but I worked on a church film called Easter Dream. Okay. And uh, and when Jesus is walking, I helped build Jerusalem. I helped build the cross mm. that Jesus is carrying. And when Jesus, the actor, started walking down the thing, I saw him and thought, ah. Spirit hit me and I was like, yeah, I got to serve a mission. So submitted my papers and just like Ken, uh, my first mission call uh, was to the Spain Las Palmas mission, but mm. speaking Portuguese. And it took a while to figure out where that was. That was the Canary Islands. <laughs> and then literally a ne- the week next, I got another letter saying, you're now going to the Portugal-Lisbon mission. Awesome. Those, those Portuguese-speaking islands have been switched. Um, and then a week later, I got a letter saying, the mission has been divided. You're now going to the Portugal-Lisbon <laughs> North mission. And then I, don't, I think Ken had the same experience, but I didn't get my visa. So then I went to the Washington, D.C. South mission for a while. Yeah. So that that was my story, and then ended up in Portugal, and 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 actually ended up on my very first area was one of those islands that kept getting moved oh, around. Beautiful, yeah, it was awesome. So we we mentioned Ken a few times. We're talking about Ken Craig, my co-host on Sharing Time, as well as you can always go back and find the uh, the Ken and Katie Craig episode of of this podcast. But you not only served with Ken, you also served with Lincoln Hoppe. Lincoln Hoppe, whose film Witnesses is all over yeah. the place right now. Yeah, no, so so yeah, so it was Elder Craig and Elder Hoppe when we all got back to BYU. I didn't know their names, right? Yeah, and they were, were part of the early improv, the Garens group, there which was at BYU. a big part of my life. Sure. And that was the exact same time I was there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I know those guys. We 
We so run it, into each other all the time in the Harris Fine Arts Center. And if, if you went to Garen's shows, you and I may have met, actually. <laughs> Years ago, I got to hang out with those talented guys. Well, that's funny. So how was your mission? Mission was spectacular. Yeah, really great experience. Mm. Uh, it, it, the exact kind of butt kick I needed to help me sort of really understand what my family had sacrificed for. Yeah. Um, and and it, yeah, it was a great mission. Love it. In awesome. fact, I've been back multiple times to Portugal because I'm slightly obsessed with the place and the people. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. So you come home from your mission. What came next? Uh, so for me, I didn't, I had gone a year, you know, this was back when we went on missions at 19. So I'd gone yep. a year to BYU. When I came back, I couldn't afford to go to BYU. Um, full-time so i moved furniture for a living to pay for school and i went to the byu salt lake center nice and i kicked my parents out of their garage and i built a four <laughs> foot by eight foot set and i started to make a clay animated film and byu didn't have the equipment i needed so i borrowed the equipment from richard paul evans oh my god and i made a clay animated film called nocturnal uh that ended up winning a student emmy and i believe it's the first student emmy at least for mm. animation that byu had won so I, I did that, um, and in fact, I never moved back down to Provo. For the rest of my time in school, I lived at my parents' house in West Jordan, and I commuted back and forth to Provo awesome. uh, for the next three years and just uh, you know, gripped on people's projects and helped with other things while I was making my own stuff, and I was kind of like the silly animation guy in amongst the animation, uh, in amongst the film students there yeah. in, in the film program. That is just awesome. Did you ever think about stepping outside of animation or was it animation first and then no so so actually most of the things i did in school were always a mixture of animation and live action Mm. um i i i loved all of it to me i loved all of it but animation was an interesting place i could compete and my films would be unique and and different than other people's work so i i played sort of on both sides of it very Um, cool but yeah, so you end up graduating from BYU. Yeah. So, I, well, I should probably back up. I met my wife the year before I was going to oh. graduate. Uh, we dated, got engaged. Uh, while we were dating, I won my student Emmy, and I could take one guest to show my girlfriend, which is my wife, <laughs> came with me to the student Emmys. That convinced her that maybe I was going to be able to make a living at this, right? We got married in March of 1996, uh, graduated from school in April of 96, and then we moved to, J- to L.A. just blind in June of that year. We didn't know anybody. We had a weird three-month house-sitting arrangement we, we took advantage of, and we just moved down there. And, and was the idea just that's where the industry is? Hollywood's there? Work has to be there? Yeah, that's where the work would be. Yeah, absolutely. that would make sense. Yep. That's You're right. not the first person to sit in that chair who made that leap. Right. Who decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to make the jump, just go to L.A. Uh, so talk about those first few months in L.A. Yeah, so that was weird. Uh, um, the church became your network really quickly, right? But it wasn't, I didn't find that uh, members of the church were necessarily super helpful in terms of getting jobs. They, mm. were, they were good at referencing people and yeah. that sort of thing. But they, it was still the early days. There were a handful of LDS people who were really successful, like Gerald Mullen and yeah. and Brigham Taylor was slowly on his way up. And a handful of you know, and you're right, there were a handful of us that just moved down. So I knew other people had moved down at the same time, uh, but I couldn't get a job to save my life. I was working for a temp agency. My wife got a teaching job immediately. They needed teachers, so she got a teaching job. Um, did you expect it was going to be difficult, or did you think? I'm going to get there and start working. In uh, I thought it would be difficult. I didn't think it was going to be as difficult mm. uh, because other friends or other people that I'd known had internships and things started to work out. And I was literally temping for like seven months and couldn't figure out what was going on. I'd had great interviews. 
Um, nothing was going well. And so I called a BYU professor and I said, hey, something, something's wrong. Every job I've ever interviewed for, I got. And here in L.A., this isn't working out for me. And he connected me with a guy at HBO, and the guy said, hey, well, let's go to lunch. We met for lunch. He says, you seem great. I'm not sure why you're not getting jobs. When you get home, this is a different era, right? When you get home, will you fax me your resume? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll fax you my resume. So I got home, faxed my resume, and it was almost like the fax barely went through, and he called me and said, I can see your problem. You have way too much experience. People either are going to think that you think you know everything or that you're going to be difficult, like you're some sort of prima donna. He just said, take all of your work and say that you were just a production assistant and take your student Emmy off of your resume, send it back out to everybody. And I said, well, won't they compare it to the old resume? He goes, no, nobody's going to take that much time. And I did that, and literally the next day I got a job, my, my intro job at DreamWorks as a you production assistant. You have got to be kidding. After Isn't that seven, amazing? After seven months, and even <laughs> Gerald Mullen, like, referring me to people. Oh. Um, yeah, that's how I got my job is by by dumbing down my resume. So how exciting was it to get an offer from DreamWorks? Well, it was spectacular, and especially in light of being LDS, they were making Prince of Egypt. This was at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. This was when it was called DreamWorks SKG. SKG. yeah. Sure. And it was a multifaceted, huge company. They had a TV, TV division. They had a music department. I mean, it was. we were on the corner of the Universal Studios lot. We could drive over to the Amblin lot. We would see Steven Spielberg. You would see celebrities. I was working with people who I recognized their names because they had they were former Disney animators, right? And we were working on a religious title, and they they were finishing up the the prologue of the film, and it it you know if you've ever seen the film, the very beginning so times. blows my mind. It's yeah. so good. So yeah, I was I was in seventh heaven. Prince of Egypt has, to me, and I'm not an expert in animation. But one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, there's a scene with a wave when the water is parted and there's a whale Uh that goes by the edge of the wave and it gives me chills every time. I think that's the most beautiful animation. Yeah, no, it's it's gorgeous. So was that the first project you worked on? So I was actually hired on by the company, but I wasn't on the film specifically. And in fact, I eventually, by eventually, I mean within a month or two, people are like, oh, he's the married Mormon kid. They made me shuttle around religious leaders that had come to... uh, DreamWorks was really nervous about what they were doing, so they brought almost every religion under the sun to come and see what they were doing because they wanted a really great grassroots word-of-mouth campaign. Mm, Right. And because I was the safe Mormon kid, I hosted a lot of those people. (laughs) What they didn't realize was a lot of those people didn't like Mormon kids. If they had understood, they a little better. (laughs) But but, uh, that was my job. I just, I became the expert at, you know, depending on what time of day, I could drive from DreamWorks to LAX airport and shuttle people back and forth and make sure they got back to meet with Jeffrey Katzenberg. On time, and what it was a, a great cool experience. experience! Yeah, it was really did you great. ever get to meet Jeffrey Katzenberg? All the time. He is a fascinating man. Yeah, I mean, a brilliant, fascinating man. Yeah, it was interesting because my brother-in-law had been a junior exec at Disney and had worked with him when he was at Disney, and my brother-in-law didn't like him. Yeah, and and part of that was that he wasn't working for himself, and he was kind of having some hard uh, occupational situations. Uh, you know, we yeah. later found out there. Uh, but literally, I was a production assistant making less money as a college graduate at DreamWorks that I made as a 14-year-old doing animation with Richard Paul Evans, and he knew my name. And he was gracious and kind to me. Here's my best story in this regard, because you were saying, think about these stories. As the host of the, you know, I I picked up a a Jewish rabbi one time, and he was mostly mad I wouldn't let him smoke in my car. Uh, (laughs) But when he found out it was LDS, he got really upset about the fact that we had done temple work for 
for Holocaust victims. Mm. And I said, yeah, we apologize for that. And we're, we're working those things out. And he said, yeah, you have. And he, he, he was gracious. But I realized I started getting cautious about, because they would always ask me where I was from. And as soon as they found out I was from Salt Lake, clearly yeah. you know all the yes. Well, I pick up Jerry Falwell, right? Oh my gosh, you picked up Jerry Falwell. Yeah. So, and this was right after the People versus Larry Flint, which the movie is about Larry Flint being sued by Jerry Falwell for defamation. Yes. So I pick up Jerry Falwell and his son, Mike. Mike is a redhead. I'm a redhead. Uh, I start talking about how I was making this documentary on redheads. We got laughing about it. They asked me where I was from. We got into the whole LDS conversation. And he said, yeah, we came, we had a Baptist uh, convention in Salt Lake. We chose Salt Lake because you guys have such a strong position on the family. And he said, we came out there and I met with Ezra Taft Benson. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He was, you know, we talked about how he was been the secretary of agriculture. We had that whole conversation. And I said, uh, he was a great prophet. And he goes, he wasn't the prophet. He was the president of your church. And I said, well, I beg to differ. I think he's the prophet. And he just kind of got quiet. And then that was the end of the drive, and I dropped him off at the Amblin building to meet with Jeffrey Katzenberg. And I was like, oh, why did I get uh, you know, uppity right there? Or why did I decide to sort of bear my testimony right <laughs> in that moment? Because um, I didn't necessarily, me personally, to be honest, I didn't have very high uh, regard for Jerry Falwell. He was one of those yeah. TV preachers, right? Right. I went back to my office, and there was a pink slip on my desk. And I thought, oh, I've been canned. After all this time to get my job, I've been Ken. Well, it wasn't a formal pink slip. It's some secretary was using pink note cards. Mm. And it said, by the way, you've been given the rest of the day off. Jerry Falwell wants you to host him while he's in Los Angeles. He loves you, right? And I went to pick him up at Katzenberg's office, and he grabs me in a big bear hug and shoves me into Jeffrey and says, Jeffrey, have you met Kelly? He's one of your good Mormon workers here and jeffrey kind of just like with a wink and a nod like let's let's do this for him shook my hand and literally i just drove jerry Falwell and the son the rest of the day and this is the funny part he said hey do you know where the flint publication building is and i said yeah i think so i think it's on wilshire because it's big and he goes yeah i need you to take me there and i was like what and he goes we became friends over the course of the people versus larry flint and he goes we're great friends i'm gonna go meet with him so i drove them there and then I sat in the parking garage in the basement of the Flint Publication Building oh while, my gosh. while he went up and talked to Larry Flint. And for our, I'm assuming we have a few listeners who don't know who Larry <laughs> Flint is. He was the publisher of Hustler Magazine. Yeah. Who later got shot and all kinds of crazy things. And I didn't realize he public, he had a whole publishing empire. He's yeah. known for the pornography. Yeah. But he owned like PC Magazine and Fishing yeah. Street. He, he had this huge publication. I, I didn't know any of that, right? But I just sat down in the parking garage because Jerry Falwell didn't want me to see offensive things. He didn't know what was going to be on the walls, right? That is, you think back at that. You're sitting in the parking lot of Flint, the, the publisher of Hustler. While Jerry Falwell goes in to meet with... That is one of the most bizarre, awesome things I've ever heard. It was so weird. And when he came back down, he said, guess who's a redhead? And I said, well, who's that? He goes, Larry Flint's redhead. And I said, oh, I've approached famous redheads before. Nobody <laughs> wants to be in my film. He goes, we'll make it happen. Sure enough, they made it happen. He, they, got Larry, they got us to go interview Larry Flint for this redheaded documentary. Oh, my gosh. And what's even funnier about that is he, had come, he would come back to L.A. periodically. He was on... Um, Politically incorrect with Bill Maher. Mm, yeah. And he called me up and said, I'm bringing my grandson. I don't know where to take him. Can you host us? So, like, I would periodically go to dinner with Jerry Falwell. He was so gracious. 
And he loved the fact that I stood up for myself and that I believed what I believed. And it changed my whole opinion about who he was. Every time I see a picture of Falwell now, I'm just going to think of, I mean, this is for our generation, Falwell, and he was part of PTL, and he's the one who took over for PTL when Jimmy and Tammy Faye yeah. had their big falling out, and he, wow. he ran Liberty University. Ran Liberty University, sure. Yep. That is... No, he was as gracious and kind as he could be and respected the fact that I believed what I believed and was cool about the fact that I stood up for myself. Kelly, so. that is that phenomenal. <laughs> I love that. All right, so how long were you at DreamWorks? I was at DreamWorks, I believe, two years. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I was uh, in my ward. I was the young men's president. And, I, and, and DreamWorks had, uh, because I was a return missionary, because I was good at managing people, they had uh, they had streamlined me. They wanted me to sort of go the producer's track. Well, the mm. producer's track is a ton of hours, and it doesn't pay very well until you become a producer. And I thought, boy, you know, at some point I want to have kids, and I want this and that. And, and I don't want to be a producer. I want to be on the art, the creative side. Uh, so I went to them and said, I don't, I don't want this track. I want to do your artist training program. And, uh, they said, no, 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 we don't want you to do that. And I said, well, then I probably need to turn in my two weeks. This isn't working out. And they said, oh, well, we, oh wait a second, do the artist and training program. So I did the artist <laughs> training program. I passed it. The trainee people said, uh, you know, Kelly's a good enough artist. Let's move him over onto the art side. And my bosses said, no, he's too valuable doing what he's doing because I'd been there from the beginning of the company. Wow. And so I went to lunch with my first counselor in Young Men's and he said, Kelly, you're being exploited. This is classic corporations. Nothing. He said, the only way you're ever going to move up is to leave and then come back at a different level. So I did. I left DreamWorks and I didn't have anywhere to go. I told them I, I was going to leave. And they said, well, don't leave yet. How much time can you give, give us? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you need? So instead of two weeks notice, I gave them two months notice. Mm. I trained three people to take my job. And then they <laughs> hired me back every day until I got my replacement job. I was just a temp on the studio lot there until I got my replacement job, which I ended up at the live action division of Disney. Uh, because a friend of mine, his name's Aaron Merrill. He produced the uh, the Book of Mormon films for the church. He and I were had become friends there at DreamWorks, and then he had gone to Disney, and he was leaving Disney, so I took his slot. Oh wow! In the live action division of Disney, there. So, so was that a big leap of faith to tell them, "Hey, I got to go" without anything well, solid, it, sort of. But you know, I grew up poor, so being po- I was okay with being poor. And if I wasn't going to do what I wanted to, what I had aspired to do in LA, I didn't want to be in LA. We loved it there. Yeah. But if I was just going to be doing some, whatever just job, a job, yeah, yeah, I might as well move back to Utah and be around our families. Oh, that's right? so great. So talk about your time at Disney. Uh, we've already established I'm a huge Disney fan. <laughs> I was just at Disneyland two weeks ago. Cool. Um, big, big time Disney fan. So talk about being in the live, uh, the live action. So live division. action is called Buena Vista Motion Pictures, right? Yep. Everybody knows that the films are divi- distributed by Buena Vista Distribution. Well, really, they have a production uh, entity called Buena Vista Motion Pictures. They make the movies, and then they put Hollywood pictures or Disney pictures or Touchstone pictures on the movie. But it's all coming out of the same office. Yeah. That was the department I worked in. We were in the Frank G. Wells building there on the oh, corner of the lot. Oh, my gosh. Um, the year I was there, we made a Sixth Sense, Summer of Sam, Armageddon, Thirteenth Warrior. So this was um, in the Renaissance period of Disney live action. 
Uh, we, they, they had a really good year. Yeah. I'll just say that. We had a really good year. Disney has so many employees that when they have a Christmas party, you usually can't take your significant other, your spouse, right? They had made so much money that year that I got my wife got to go to the Christmas party, So, uh, <laughs> which was at the House of Blues, which was awesome. So, uh, yeah, so I worked there, um, and that was great. And while we were there, we started having family members die. We had a lot of family die. Mm. With that, that first year, we had five, I believe, five people die, one of whom was my father-in-law. Oh, gosh. And he had a business in Lehigh, and we were the family. We were, we were the couple that didn't have kids who also got along and really well with my mother-in-law. So we moved back to take care of my mother-in-law. Mm. How was that? How was that transition? So that was heartbreaking. You ended up having to leave Disney. Yeah. Did Disney kind of feel like a dream job? Uh, no, because I wasn't in Disney animation, right? Disney animation would have been really where I'd aspired to be. Uh, but it was pretty great. And, and, uh, and that's where I was interfacing a lot with people. I don't know if you know Josh Harmon, um, Mm-mm, or I Brigham don't. Taylor. Brigham Taylor is probably I know the who Brigham prom- Taylor is. Yeah, yeah. So, so Brigham Taylor is probably the prominent LDS Disney live action guy. Cause he produced the live action jungle book. Yeah. He did the live action. Sure. Uh, he was the, those guys were the guys that came up with the idea, let's turn the amusement park rides into movies. Yeah. Which at first wasn't successful, right? They did the Haunted, the haunted House. Haunted Mansion, they, yeah. Uh, they also did the Bears, the Country yeah, Bears Country film. Bears, those uh, things tanked, but when the Pirates films took off, yeah. Brigham, you know, rose. But Brigham was really interesting because he produced, he was also, he was an in-house producer for them, but he was also in charge of the year they made John Carter of Mars oh. and when they made The Lone Ranger. Oh, no. And after those failures, he thought, he's a really smart guy. He was like, you know, uh, I can see the writing on the wall. Someone's head's going to roll for these films. Yeah. Uh, so he went to them and said, you've always offered me a, a multi-picture option. Let me take that, that parachute. And the first film out of the gate with his option was that live-action Jungle Book which was a home run. Which was awesome. Yeah. Which was amazing. Yeah. And he, he's a g- great guy. Um, love it. Yeah. Lo- love him. He, he's, he's actually got some family here. His, his daughter and his grandkids are here locally. Uh, really good guy. So it was during that great. time that I sort of interfaced a little more yeah. with him. But yeah, moving, being at Disney and thinking, okay, I'm going to finally get to sort of move into where I wanted to. And then family started dying. Yeah. It was a hard place to be. Crazy. Oh, what a wild, wild ride. So you yeah. moved back to Lehigh? So we moved back to Utah. Um, where We actually moved back to West Jordan, but oh, okay. I would go help my mother-in-law in Lehigh. I got a, just a local job working for a web company. Yeah. And then I would just go help my mother-in-law. My Did you think maybe your career was done then? Oh, I film? thought it was over. You thought that was it on I film? I thought I was toast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I was trying to figure out how to stay in media, but yeah, I thought that was over. Um, and my, mo- my wife was actually still in LA. She had to finish the school year. Oh my gosh. So I was here and I would recruit my brothers or my friends to go help me do stuff with my mother-in-law, um, at the, uh, the business. And we slowly got into shape and we sold it off. Um, and my wife eventually was finally finished school there and, and moved out here and joined us. But did you guys yeah. have kids by this? Didn't point? have kids. Not yet. Okay. No. So, uh, so yeah, we got established and helped out my mother-in-law and she started to have health issues herself and, so we moved back here, and then I, uh, I eventually got hired on by Feature Films for Families. Oh, awesome. Right? Yeah. And they were several years into a multi-million dollar animated feature they were making in Budapest, Hungary, that the director was this, he's a really great guy, LDS guy who lives in St. George. His name is Mark Swan. He w- had worked for Don Bluth for years. Cool. Um, 
they brought me in basically just to be the heavy and try to get the film done. Um, and so I worked with him until we finished that film. What was that film? Uh, Princess and the Pea. But we did that, and then we were doing some other some other projects for them. Um, and it was during that during the course of working there that BYU came to me and said, hey, will you start the animation program with us? So BYU had no animation. No animation program. Program. A former faculty of mine, once I won the student Emmy, I had a faculty from the industrial design program come Mm. to me and say, hey, I'm teaching some 3D animation classes. Why don't you come take one of these classes? And his name is Brent Adams. Okay. And Brent and I became really good friends. So the whole time I was in L.A., Brent would be, bring people down from BYU to meet with me and show, say, hey, look, there's jobs here. This is, a, you know, people are, this is a real industry. And we became really good friends. And he was the one that came and said, I have a one-year opportunity. Will you come teach with me at BYU? Incredible. And what year was that? So that would have been 19, uh, 1999 is when he approached me. 2000 was when we started. So this takes us back full circle to episode number 00001 of Latter-day Lives, the very first episode we ever did where I got to hear this same story from Adam Sidwell, who started out, there was no animation program, and then suddenly they started one while he was there with you, Yep, and uh, Adam learned from you. So Adam would have been in the industrial design program, they had basically an animation track, and Adam was one of the, I was only like two or three years older than that group of students. <laughs> and Adam was one of my first students. Yeah. yeah. I, I texted Adam and told him you were coming in. <laughs> and he said, that is so awesome. You guys will have a blast. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Adam, uh, yeah, Adam's group was the first group that we really sort of shepherded through the process. Um, and, and, and interestingly enough, they're still, as a group, one of the groups we're still closest to emotionally. Well, actually, two of those guys now are teachers at BYU. They're part awesome. part of the faculty in the animation program. But uh, we started that, and um, Feature Films for Family said, we'd like you to stick around. And, and actually, the guy that was the head of the department we had, had, was battling cancer at the time. So I, sort of, I kept working that job and working at BYU. Um, and it was at that point my wife and I realized, we're having some fertility issues. So we, uh, it, it was during that time we had our first child, mm. went through all that couples who have fertility issues went yeah. through, right? But having two jobs allowed us to sort of pay those bills because anybody who's been through those struggles it's knows expensive it's expensive. stuff, yeah. Uh, but that, we got my oldest out of that. And as soon as we had my oldest, Feature Films came to me and said, okay, this guy doesn't have cancer anymore, production's down. And they laid me off. And my boss, who I had sort of helped through his cancer struggle, um, he actually ended up dying from cancer. He came back. Mm-hmm. But he was just bawling, just sobbing because he felt like I, I, he had betrayed me. And I was just like, no, like... This totally helped me pay for my kid. This That's was the, awesome. be- the best blessing in the world. Uh, and the people I worked with there were lovely. I, I, I had nothing. I mean, every place I've ever worked had politics, so I didn't work, you know. Everybody always complained about the politics there. I was like, every, everywhere has politics. So Absolutely does. So that's how we got my oldest. And, uh, and my BYU gig was a full-time gig. And after that one year, they approved our program and said, okay, we want you to teach for us. So I was full-time. So have you been there ever since? Ever since. Just you, finished my 20th year at BYU. That is so amazing. How many kids do you have now? I have two kids. Two kids. That's incredible in yep. and of itself. Dude. Yep. How old are they? So my oldest just turned 16 and my youngest is 13. What an awesome time in life. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about uh, inside the BYU animation program. Yeah. Uh, how much faculty is there within anima- uh, animation? So now we have five. When we started off, there were two of us for a year and then a third was added. Um and that we did that until 
we sort of plugged that, kind of went that way for a number of years, and we were really successful. And other schools started to recruit us. Mm. And it was in light of other schools recruiting us, BYU was like, hey, wait a second, we probably ought to do something. <laughs> and I probably should back up by telling you that um, my grandfather, who was the stake president for all those years out in West Jordan, he's also my patriarch. Oh, wow. And he was my sealer. He had been giving money to BYU for years. And when they asked to start the animation program, um, the visual arts department didn't want to help contribute to it. So I went to my grandfather oh, wow. and he gave me a portion of the money he was going to give to donate to BYU. And I went in 50, 50 with his money with the visual arts program to start the animation program. That's how we started. Kelly, it. that's amazing. That so crazy? you really built this program. I mean, you were there from go. Well, Brent Adams, I'll give all the credit to Brent Adams, but I, I was lucky enough that I had this grandfather who was giving money to the church. And he gave us, I mean, it wasn't a lot. It was like 13 grand. And then the art department came in with 13 grand. But that's how we launched the one side of the program. And then we just started utilizing computer lab space on campus that wasn't being utilized. And that was the animation program. That's what Adam's experience was. So is it a, can you major in animation now? Yeah. Can you get a degree in animation? You get a, you get a bachelor of fine arts degree through the design department and it's in animation. We also have an animation emphasis in the computer science program. We teach those students as well. Mm. And then we also have illustration students who want to be concept designers, character designers, environment designers, and they participate with us as well. That is just amazing. I'm so fascinated by all of this. Um, how much production happens at BYU? Are you guys putting out student films? Are you doing work for the church? Or is it all purely instructional? So we, we decided early on, um, sort of in collaboration actually with what BYU was saying, that we're going to be student focused. And so Adam had that experience. The very first group, we said, why don't you guys all go away, come back with a concept for a short film. They all pitched those concepts. They all voted. They chose one. They Is chose it something about birds. No, it was lemmings. Lemmings. Yes. It was about lemmings. Yeah. They chose one. They chose their student director and their producer. And then that group just killed themselves making that film. And we poured all of our time and energy and attention into that film. How much has the technology changed in animation over the last 20 years? Yeah, it, it, it's a whole different <laughs> thing. Um, it must require a lot of learning on your part. You know, it does, but I, but you don't have to know everything. As yeah. a teacher, you know your section of it. Yeah. So here's what's interesting about the animation program. It's interdisciplinary. So the program, I ran the animation program all, every year. You're only supposed to run a program for three years and then you rotate. Mm. But I never got to rotate. So I ran it for 19 years <laughs> and then I just handed it off to another faculty last year. But um, I've, I've been, other than the first two years, I was in visual arts they moved me over into the media arts program. So I'm actually film faculty mm. and I teach a screenwriting course for them. But then all the other classes I teach are really for the design department. Um, but there are two faculty in the design department and then two faculty there in computer science because animation uses those, right. you know, those resources, that thinking, that ideology from all those different departments. Um, and since I'm not in the computer science side of things, I get to be the storytelling filmmaking Awesome. side of things and get to do you know do i have to stay up to date on technology yeah do i have to do it no that's the bonus that's the <laughs> nice thing kelly so what are some things that uh that you're proud of that some of your students have gone on to do job wise well you know so 20 years in we've got a lot of people out in industry um yeah. and we're starting to get people really to sort of some of those upper echelons 
Um, I don't know if you, Boss Baby 2 is on Peacock right now, and the yep. other story on that was an illustration student that worked with us. His name's Andy Erickson. Love him. Um, we have a guy named Emron Grover who came through our program who's one of the top costume people at Pixar. Wow. And he was in charge of all the costumes for Coco. He did costumes for Luca. No uh, wow. He's spectacular. We had a ton of guys who worked on, um, who worked at Weta in New Zealand. And so they worked on the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films. They worked on a lot of these um, uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah. So I've, I've got graduates at a lot of different places who've worked on amazing things. Not to mention, um, we have lots of people in animation, like li- like animated features, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like the head of animation, for example, on Moana is Hiram Osmond. One of the Osmond <laughs> grandchildren, right? Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me Hiram Osmond is a Latter-day Saint. Yeah, you think with that <laughs> name? Yeah, so his dad is Verl, one of the deaf brothers, Yeah, right? Yeah. And Hiram came through our program. Awesome. He actually is responsible for Olaf, the character in Frozen. Oh, wow, no kidding. And he modeled Olaf after one of his own children that was just this sweet, innocent, upbeat <laughs> character. Um, so Hiram's one of our guys. Um you know, we've just, we've had a lot of people, that's the feature animation world. We have a lot of people working visual effects for live action. We've had a lot of people work in video games. We've got guys at Blizzard Games, guys at Riot. There's a studio in, in Salt Lake that was formerly part of Disney, but is now part of Warner Brothers Games. We've had mm. lots of people there. Um, some of the, the Epic Games, which is a huge game company. They do Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, the head creative um, is a BYU alum. Uh, and they're, they're part of a, they started a company called chair that is mm. part of Epic and they're just here in South Jordan. I've got guys all, and then we have all sorts of people who do a lot of people who work for the church and we have people who work in marketing departments for, you know, fortune to 500 companies and people who do medical visualization and Incre- all sorts and of see, stuff. These are people that, that we don't know as much like actors, you know, directors, you kind of know, uh-huh. but people who truly create, you don't know their names as much. Right. It's exciting to hear. And I don't remember, did Heather Walwork come through yes. your program? Her name is Heather Dixon in Heather my Dixon. world. She was, was, that's true. It was Heather before Dixon. she married. She just had her baby. She which just is had a awesome. baby a couple of days yep. ago. Yeah. Yep. She's spectacular. Absolutely. So Heather Heather has been on the show before. Okay. It reminded me when you said was part of Disney Interactive. She's, yep. She was a story artist. And actually, she, along with Bryce, is part of the Castle Collective, our Disneyland uh, okay. podcast. So I talk to Heather almost every week. Yep. So. Heather. Love Heather. One of the most talented artists, and in fact, she did. Maybe we'll maybe we'll share it. She did an announcement when they found when they were ready to announce that she yes, was pregnant. Yeah, she did the this animated announcement that just made me cry. Yeah. It was so awesome. Yeah, no, she's lovely. Yeah, um, and then we have a bunch of guys that are just on the verge. Like one of my former students uh, helped develop a retake on the Superman brand, which has been sold and is in production now for HBO Max. So he's one of the showrunners on that show. Um, We've got a lot of people just out doing really interesting things. Um, A lot of people that are just right at that cusp of possibly directing or producing or, you know, we're we're at that that area. So uh, a lot of good stuff has happened. So when you go to a film and you sit down and you know one of your students who didn't know if they had the didn't know if they had the the skills whatever you got to shape mold whatever now you're sitting down in a movie theater watching the work they've done what level of satisfaction is that uh yeah i mean it's evolved over time it used to be jealousy 
I have to be honest, when they would go out, when I would go out and visit them in studios or when I'd see their names in the credits, I was so jealous. I so wanted to be back there. Um, but now, yeah, when I see what we've been able to make, and, and I'm just, a, I'm so blessed because I'm just a cog in a machine that, that just happened. And, 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 and clearly the Lord wanted it to happen because the resources and the funding really wasn't there. But great things came. And Adam Sidwell's group created a tradition that all the groups that followed um, either wanted to follow or wanted to one up. And so we've just created this culture of success and it's spectacular. I, I, I feel so blessed. My kids don't feel as blessed by the way. When we go to movies, they're the only kids sitting through the credits, right? Like, okay, we got to watch. Like, Oh, I know that that was one of our guys. That's one of our guys. That gal went through our program. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they got to think that's so cool. It, well, they don't know what they have. My kids have had the studio tours at all the major studios, right? Oh, they've, man. they've seen behind the curtain. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, they've had some interesting, unique experiences. All right, so if you've got parents who are sitting and listening right now, they know their kids can draw. I think sometimes for a parent, you're going, I don't know if pushing them toward their love of art is a good thing because – Financially, it, it could be challenging, mm-hmm. but there is a whole true business side, and this is a business degree. This Absolutely. is a degree that prepares you to go out and work. Yeah. So give us the pitch as to why they should encourage their kids. Well, so I don't pitch anybody, and I don't think you should encourage your kids. Uh, you should support them, definitely. Got uh, it. I, I really think that kids need to it, – it's competitive, yeah, And so they have to be passionate about it. And if you've pushed them down that road, they may not be passionate enough about it to mm. want to sort of see it through. Um, it, it's, it's not like putting your kid in uh, Chinese immersion, like, like classes, right? right? Where like someday you're going to use this. They may, you know, they may not. The animation industry, the software we use is called Maya. There are 2,000 schools in the United States alone that teach that software. Wow. We are a tiny program. We only accept 25 students a year, but a lot of those programs, so we have 80 students totally in our program. Some of these schools that we compete against have 1,000 students. Sure. Right? They're all competing for those same jobs. Now, our placement rate is high. We do really well. Uh, but are there jobs in the arts? Absolutely. And do we need arts? And do the, do, do the arts uplift our community? And I don't just mean the LDS community, right? But our yeah. community, absolutely they do. But it comes from really passionate people who loved it enough to take that risk. Now, my graduates make good money and are able to support their families, which isn't true of all people in the arts. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. BYU has a huge music department. And, and a right. lot of kids majoring in music. And you know, percentage-wise, yeah. that it's maybe 2 3% of the kids who graduate in music actually end up working in it. Whereas, you know, I'm like at 85%, 90% of my graduates will work in this field. Um, but you have to be passionate about the arts to go after it. And, but then are there opportunities? Absolutely. There are opportunities. I just went to lunch with a graduate, uh, actually two days ago and he just finished an internship and got a job and he's making $90,000 a year. Now that's a great rate. I have to admit that's a pretty good rate. Not everybody's going to make that sort of rate. Uh, but can you support a family on that? Absolutely. You can. Right. So we're in a unique position in that regard, and maybe that's why the program has blossomed, uh, because it does have the ability to support families. I just love that you have legacy. Yeah. You're, you're going to have legacy. Your work has now gone out throughout the world, and mm-hmm. I just think there couldn't be a bigger blessing than that. 
Yeah, uh, yes. And and the blessing to me is, and this never made sense to me, and I'll share something, and, and you know, you have to kind of be careful what you share with people, but we all know about patriarchal blessings. Yep. And I told you my grandfather was my patriarch, and he gave me a blessing, and in my blessing it says, now Kelly, as your grandfather, I want you to know that Heavenly Father is proud of you, and that you've been blessed with many talents that very mm-hmm. few have been blessed with, but that those talents aren't for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And that never made any sense to me. When I moved to L.A. and I was struggling and I wasn't having success, I, I kept trying to figure out what... I went to school on a scholarship. I, you know, like I, I made all these things happen for myself. Why is this not happening? And it, it didn't even hit me until I'd been teaching for 10 years. And I went back and read my patriarchal blessing. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, oh, shoot. Basically what he was saying was the Lord gave me these talents so I could be helpful to other people. And I'm a selfish person. I didn't like that answer. Yeah. But I am. I'm so blessed that that's, that, that that is my legacy. It's awesome. And it's, the impact is huge. It's a beautiful legacy. And like I said, you know, when I reached out to Adam and told him you were coming on, he just lit up. And I'm sure I'll drop Heather a quick text to let her know we were hanging out. And I know she'll be thrilled. And, and like I said, we have a lot of mutual friends who think very highly of you. Mm. Uh, we're going to wrap up the episode with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, uh, Kelly, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Um, I want to say structure, but not in a way that sounds formal. It's mm. given my life direction. Um we talked about legacy. Uh, it, it, so much of my life is about the church. And as I raise my kids and they struggle with their own testimonies, it's, it, it can be challenging because so much of my life is about the church. Uh, without the church, I don't know what I would have. Um, and I love art and I love animation and I love film, but I love it in light of looking at it through the lens of the gospel. So I don't know when you ask me what is what role is the church player what is the church the church is my life Mm, awesome he's a filmmaker he is an animator and he has a great legacy teaching all these amazing students (laughs) over at byu kelly loosely thank you for sharing your latter-day life with us we appreciate it. thank you so much appreciate it And my special thanks to my guest and new friend, Kelly Loosely. I just love Kelly. And going back and and, uh, listening to this, uh, to prepare this episode, I was just reminded of how much I enjoyed sitting with him. He is a great guy. And Kelly, thank you so much for all of your good work. Uh, This week in my Latter-day Life, it was an interesting week. I actually traveled out to see a customer for the first time, I've uh, since the pandemic, I've been going to our office in San Diego fairly regularly, uh, and I've gone to one sort of trade show event, but I have not gone to see a customer to do a presentation. Everything has been Zoom. Well, this past week, I got to go out to Walmart, and Walmart has been a partner of ours on and off for a few years. I've been out there many times to see them. And uh, this buyer wanted to meet with us. And what a great opportunity. Walmart is in Bentonville, Arkansas, one of the most beautiful places. I love Bentonville. And as I was preparing to fly out, literally as I was, I had flown to San Diego for a couple days and then was flying from San Diego out to Arkansas, suddenly I remembered Garth Smith. And if you don't know Garth Smith, you should. You can look him up uh, pretty much anywhere, like on uh, iTunes or Apple Music or Amazon Music or Spotify, 
wherever. He's such an amazing artist. You can also go way back in our archives. You know, we interviewed him. He's just the most talented pianist and an incredible guy. And I remember that Garth had moved from San Diego out to Bentonville. So while we were taking off, I dropped him a quick text and said, hey, man, I'm going to be out in in, uh, Arkansas. Love to come by and say hi if I can. And uh, he sent me back a text, super excited, and it was just great. And so sure enough, I went to my meetings. By the way, let me just tell you, Bentonville, Arkansas, this was not the week to be there. It was 95 degrees. And uh, according to my weather app, the you know they give you the real feel. What does it really feel like? Apparently, it really feels like 107 in Bentonville. That humidity is amazing. But when I got done with my meetings... I went out to see Garth, and Garth and I had texted back and forth a little bit. We were He was hoping that maybe we could go get dinner or something, but my schedule was too tight. But I at least wanted to see him, see his new house. And so I ran down there, and what a gorgeous home they have. Oh, it's just beautiful. And it overlooks this incredible grove of trees. It is one of the most beautiful views out on his back deck. And uh, his family was there. And when I saw Garth, We just gave each other the biggest hug, and I just felt like I was there with a brother. And I need to give a little bit of backstory on Garth, because if you were to watch me and Garth together, you would say, holy cow, how long have you guys been friends? And you must have been together hundreds of times. Well, Garth and I first met, you know, close to four years ago when we started the show. It wasn't that long into the show. So, uh, but otherwise... We met in his home when we first recorded, and otherwise we've just stayed in touch. We don't get together. We don't go out. But he feels like a brother to me. I love Garth. I love him so much, and his family is so wonderful. And as we were talking, you know, we were kind of talking just about life and about their move and about business and just kind of general, you know, what friends talk about. And as I was getting ready to leave and I had to drive out to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Uh, we started talking about sort of why we have this bond. And the bond that we have is in the gospel. See, Garth has devoted his life and his talents in playing music to building the kingdom. And it's why I look up to him and admire him so much, and I'm so grateful to call him a friend. And he said the same thing about me. And what's funny is I definitely don't have any of his talents whatsoever. I... We've talked at length, though. I have no musical talents, but he found his talent in piano, and he uses it to spread the word and build the kingdom and enrich so many lives. And he had mentioned how much he just loves that I use the podcast to build the kingdom. And that's really, I have close friends who I see all the time that I don't feel that kinship and that bond that I feel with Garth and so many of our other guests. Funny enough, when I was in the airport, I saw Gainalyn Condi who Gaynalyn's been on the show now a couple times. She actually, she said that she had thought of me that morning because she'd like to come eat back on the show yet again and uh, do a catching up episode. This is what happens with past guests when we share the gospel, when we share those common bonds, and when we literally share our testimonies with each other, and when we work together. Think about how many people you've served with in church capacities, that you have that bond from having done a girls' camp or a youth conference or served in a Relief Society presidency or a bishopric. Those bonds are so deep and so strong, and I'm so grateful for Garth. I'm grateful that in all corners of the world— I have true brothers and sisters 
who I love and I just have that incredible relationship. What a blessing it was this past week. I'll look forward to seeing Garth when it's about 20 degrees cooler and a little bit less humid, but so grateful to have a friend in Arkansas. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. The Latter-day Lives podcast is produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier. I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. 